Today's episode of Two Bad Hombres is brought to you by Score, a new mobile app coming to you this August. Score is an interactive game that lets users win deals at bars and restaurants based on what's going on in live sporting events. Find new places to watch the game and to save money on your bill at the same time by taking advantage of Score's unique interactive specials that give you an additional stake in the action. A score special can be anything a location wants it to be, from 10% off an item if a team scores a touchdown, to a free round of drinks if the quarterback throws for 400 yards. Any stat can be turned into a game. Pick the deals you want to win, watch the games you want to watch, and score deals in real time. The app will update when your teams or players record a relevant stat. So, when the conditions of your deals are met, coupons are sent to your device to show to your server or bartender. It is that easy. Score is coming to the App Store and to Google Play this August. For more information, check them out on the web at score-app.io and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ScoreDeals. Score, watch games, score deals. This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. And we are still not tired whatsoever on episode number 27 of Two Bad Hombres. I am your host, Vito Jerome Churko, along to my usual sidekick and partner in crime. That is a doc, John Charles Macaroon from Doc and Jock. John, how's it going? Vito, welcome to the weekend. Looking forward to this great conversation. We have a great in-studio guest today. Looking forward to talking boxing. I know when we talked with Thomas Hitman Hearns, got to get a chance to catch up on some old-time boxing, hear some stories. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with our guest this afternoon. Milton the Iceman at McCrory. The Iceman. I love the nickname. That's one heck of a nickname. Great to have you in studio, and thanks for joining us, too. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And a former WBC welterweight world champion. Yes. And people don't know this. I'm the Joe Lewis, Tommy Hilmer is not born in Detroit. I'm the first Detroit born world champion. And a great place to be born, huh? Well, I'm just saying, but nobody knows. The history don't know that, that I'm the first Detroit born world champion. Joe Lewis, Hilmer, and Tommy wasn't born in Detroit. Not no knock on them, but they wasn't born here. Now, where did the nickname the Iceman come from, by the way? My trainer, Walter Smith, um, I, my first five fights were first-round knockouts, but after about the second fight, he said, man, you've really been nice in them guys. And then he was saying, you ever heard of this radio announcer named Jake Iceman Butler or something, something? And then that's what he said. Hey, he was like, Iceman, the time he had to hit me, it was like, yeah, that kind of sound good. It fit pretty well for you, huh? Yes. And now you have the Kronk Boxing Gym shirt on, which it's great to see the shirt. Right. Love seeing it. You trained there. Yeah. When Thomas, the hitman Hearns was there, Hilmer Kenty was there, Emmanuel Stewart trained you, right. the legendary Emmanuel Stewart. Right. What was that like, training at that gym and under the tutelage of the legendary Emmanuel Stewart? You know, it's funny. As you say, I look back and think about that back then. Um, you may put me in with a lot of grown men back then. And um, I didn't understand some of the situation, but I held up really, really good, and that made me advance more 
than anything. To me, the workouts in the gym was um, harder than real fights. And because of sparring with Hitman Hearns, Spar- I bet, yeah, and Hilmer. Hilmer. Yes, yes. I made a promise I had to get Hilmer and Tommy. They ate the whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like, sparring with those guys? It was, it was, I mean, I mean, you look at it, it turned out I was great. I became a world champion. I mean, to me, I felt like, why should I not be a world champion? I'm doing good with Tommy and Hilmer. And they're already world champions. I mean, I was just younger than them, but I, I felt like I got it. I should have, I, I mean, I felt like I should win it, and I did. And he made kept pushing the right buttons. Growing up in Detroit, um, around the Detroit sports scene, what kind of fan were you? Were you a fan of the Tigers, any other sports besides uh, getting into boxing? Other than boxing, um, I'm a Detroit fan. I, I'm a diehard everything. Michigan State, Michigan. I, I, Michigan's number one then. You know, state, state. I mean, I, but anything that got to do with the state of Michigan, I'm with it. And you I'm, were a, a baseball guy I'm baseball growing up, guy. huh? You wanted yes. to play baseball yes. more than boxing growing up. Yes, 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 I did. I quit. I used to quit boxing every summer just to play pal, pen pal league. What yeah. made you decide that, okay, baseball maybe is not the proper avenue for me. Maybe I should stick to boxing or become a professional fighter. Well, no, when Tommy, Tommy, when he told me that um, he think I he think I should turn pro, I, only reason I thought back then, because I had like 120 amateur fights, I was just tired of fighting. It really wasn't my love. But, I mean, and I was looking at it, okay, maybe i give it a try and see how it work out. And then i go five straight, 17 straight. Tommy was 17 straight knockout. And then, hey, it all it, it just folded right there. And back to Emmanuel. I know you probably can tell so many great stories about him and what he meant to you. What is one big lesson and or word of advice that you carry with you to this day that you learned from Emmanuel? Mental willpower. Mental willpower more than anything because, like I said, when I was boxing with Tommy and Hilmer and them when I was like 15, 16 years old, I thought they was they was a little bit too much for me. I felt like that, but but he kept thinking I was doing good. I guess I was, but I was feeling like I was getting the, the worst end of it. But in the long run, it turns out I became a world champion right after that. So the, I guess he was 100% right. <laughs> and you had your first chance at a world title in March of 1983. Right. And now it didn't go your way, but it didn't go Colin Jones's right. way either. Right. It was declared a draw. Right. And what did that decision mean to you when it was declared a draw? I mean, if you look at the expression on my face when they, they said it was a draw, I really thought I was hustling. I thought I did enough to win. And... I mean, they made the rematch. The only, the only difference in the second fight, the rematch, was I knocked him down the first round. That was the only difference, but both fights were very tough. Now, the first one went 12 rounds. Both of them went 12 rounds. Heck of a, heck of a fight, rounds. all those rounds. And you finally were declared a champion right. after fight number two against Khaled. Right. So like I said, both fights were the same way, but the only difference, I knocked him down the first round. Now, what did it mean to finally be declared a champion? Oh, the first thing I said, where's my belt? I want that belt. I mean, that's, what I, that's all I want. I mean, I got to see Tommy and Hillman's at the gym. I look at them from a distance. I didn't get close because I said, boom, 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 boom. And quiet as kept. I was the I was Emmanuel's first WBC champion. Tommy and Hillman was WBA champion. Look at that factor. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I like that. In the boxing scene, when you were coming up, what was it like? Set the scene. You were training. You said you had 120 amateur fights. Right. What was the scene like back then for a young fighter that wanted to get into the game? Did you have to have a lot of fights like that? I guess back in that era of time it was. But, um, you know, the main thing was 
um, before I even, t- I never thought about professional. I mean, the main thing I wanted was when Tommy and them, because they was older, they come back with them USA suits and USA bags. I wanted to get on the international team. I want to make that level. I did that. I had 11 international fights. I was 10 and 1. Won the amateur world championship as an amateur when I was 17. I wanted to do that. Then the next level, I guess, was pro. And I did that too. How would you describe your boxing style in the ring? I'm methodical. Very methodical. I, I I think I'm I'm a very smart fighter. And to me, even like in basketball, I was like, I consider myself a better version of Dennis Rodman because I could shoot better. But I, but I didn't care to score a lot of points. Now, can you describe for Doc and I and for all of our listeners what it's like being in a boxing ring? I mean, you know, when when everybody walked down, it's just you and him. Because before, as everybody walks up to the ring with you, and then when everybody get out, when they say, you look. Everybody go. It's just oh, it's all. It's oh, I gotta make. I gotta make it happen. And then, what have you? You know, you, you spoke about Thomas Hitman Hearns, Hilmer yeah. Kenty, obviously also trained by Emmanuel Stewart. Yeah. What did you learn from those guys individually as well? I mean, I, I mean, I mean, one time when I was about eighteen, and I and I hit him real good, and I thought only reason he took that shot because he was the world champion. And you know, I, I'm young. I, I was like, the only reason he did that because he a world champion. And he was, he said, man, you knocked wax out of my head. I never knew. I mean, you know, I just thought, I was like, nobody never stood up to that shot. And you took it? I said, he world champ. That's why he took it. But I, I didn't know. I was a kid then. I didn't understand that then. Now, many people will talk and say that it's overwhelmingly difficult to become champion, but then the pressure to stay champion when then you get everybody's best to try and come and take your title. Did you notice that your first couple fights defending the title were a challenge? Did you get the best from the fighters in your first couple defenses? Well, yeah, I mean, to me, like I say, what Emmanuel always kept preaching, um, I loved it in the amateur boxing. I never watched films on people when I turned professional. I never, until the Colin Jones second fight, they had to look at it like, hello, he is good. But no, uh, but it was just on the spot. You just fight. You just, wherever, you just fought. And that, and like I said, I had 120 of them. I didn't know nothing, nothing about nobody. I just got to figure you out within that first 30 seconds of the first round. And that was my edge. <laughs> what were the differences and similarities for you going from your first professional fight to your very last one? No, same result. First round knockout. <laughs> it was the same result. My last fight was in 91 in a while. I had a first round knockout. And my pro debut was the first round knockout. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of knockouts and hitting guys hard, Hilmer Kenty, you, and Thomas Hitman Hearns, who would you say is the, the hardest puncher? Of you three. Oh, Tommy. He was bigger. Tommy yeah, just based on that. Tommy he has the edge. He was, he's bigger than Hilmer. So, but yeah, was, so yeah, Tommy's the bigger puncher. And he talked in depth with Doc and I about Kronk Jim and what it meant to him. And he had brought up the idea of resurrecting the original Kronk Jim as well one day on McGraw yeah. Avenue in Detroit. Yeah. What do you think about the feasibility of that happening at this point? Uh, I mean, it could happen. I, I don't know if it ever will happen with the the same fighters that we had back then. We had so many. We had so many that didn't become champions. I mean, we had crunk. We had a lot, but we had a lot of good fighters that didn't become champions. So I know as you keep living in life, everybody is not meant to be a champion, and that's just the way it is. Now to get that though, I mean, crunk Jim to yeah. to resurrect itself. I mean, what would have to happen though? You think? I don't, I I I 100% for sure. I don't know. It, it, it to me it's the athlete. Emmanuel had a gift. Well, he had a lot of good athletes. I mean, we had a lot of fighters that didn't win the championship that was good. 
lot of fighters. Which one stick out to you the most? The one that's memorable, a fighter that was really good, maybe that just didn't, maybe a, a fighter that many people don't know. Joe Chambers, Danny Paul, Jimmy Paul's brother. Uh, it was a few of them. K-Man leaves. I mean, it's quite a few of them that did. I mean, Lionel Johnson, Joe Johnson, it's, they was brothers. They was good. We had, I mean, look, uh, there's so many. I can keep going over them old names, but it was a lot of fighters that was good that didn't become champions. So it sounds like the camaraderie that you developed with the boys in the gym really also helped propel you. Then that you got competition to make your guys better. It seemed like you know maybe nowadays maybe it's a little bit more individual and not so team oriented. Sounds like you guys were really close at the time. Well, yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that was the number one thing that we we all because we all got to travel and sleep in different hotels and all that with each other so we all became a bond so be, so we, yes we did become a family and um even like for me even though i liked my baseball but i never played on the championship team with baseball and 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 i played for what eight nine years i never played i never only baseball trophies i've got with mvp and speaking of well playing baseball i did too my favorite sport and i never won a championship no, i mean you it sucks at times. Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. Now, you put me in a box, and I win all kinds, everything. You can do it all. Right, but see, but now as I get older, I realize that individual, you was better by yourself without your team. It was, like I tell people in my neighborhood, y'all was my practice dummies. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, you know, regarding that, the team sport and the difference between that and doing an individual sport like boxing, what are the major differences that you notice from your days playing baseball and then becoming with a boxer. boxer it's, it's like you say, individual. It was, I had a strong drive from a little kid. I mean, for, for every sport that I played, I played, I gave it 100, you know, and as life kept going, I got into boxing. I, I gave it 100. Like I say, I don't even love this sport. I knew that as a kid. I don't even love this sport, but I want to do it because I want to keep traveling and going with my friends and just having fun. But I was always winning, so that kept Ooh, it kept going better and better. That makes it more fun too, right? The trips got better and better and better. It got to be Europe and all that, so it got fun. Whereabouts in Detroit did you grow up? I grew up on the east side by Persian High School. That's where I went to high school at Persian High School. Yeah, you had said that baseball was your first love, and that you know once you realized that it was going to take a little bit of work to go from the minors to the major as leagues. I got, as I got in my teenage years, when I made the international team, I knew that. I mean, that's what I knew. You got to go to a farm club, A ball, double A, triple A. They say you'd be about 26, 27 before you ever make it. And I was like, oh. If it wasn't boxing, what would it have been besides baseball? I, I'm not for sure. It had to be something in sports, though. Okay. <laughs> I could play football. I consider myself a Charles Wilson, but I couldn't. I'm not as fast as him. Oh, I don't miss no tackles. I wrap up. I, I, I mean, because I was long and lanky, but I could wrap up. Did your family support your decisions in becoming a professional boxer? Was there any uh, opposition or pushback to say, look, maybe focus on your education, don't do something well, so dangerous? No, I mean, you know, you got to remember, it wasn't only me. We had a, I had a younger brother that went to the Olympics in 84, so he was he won the Pan Am Games. He won, he won more amateur things than I did. I mean, so, so we had two in the family that was doing good. And then my family get to go on good trips, <laughs> you know. So with them, I would think it was okay for us to box. And bringing family along for the trips, that was a fun part oh, of those no trips, question. too, right? There, there's no question about that. My family got to see places never before. How many people can say they sent their mother to Europe? My mother went to, what, Marty Carlo to watch me fight? Family bonding like that, I mean, that's great. Yeah. You can't beat that, really. You can't beat that. How many people can say they sent their mother to Europe? Unbelievable. Where right. Where else have you fought overseas? 
I fought Russia. I fought Paris. They call I fought in Germany, England. Which crowds do you think were the most ruckus or the most wild into the event? I, pass, I say Australia when my brother fought Jeff Finnick. He fought Jeff Finnick in Australia. Jeff Finnick is from Australia. I think they they, they kind of. <laughs> they were into it, huh? Screaming, yeah, into chanting, into flags, it. everything. They into it. Yes. I say Australia. All the country. Japan is laid back. They just quiet. It was funny. Uh, my second fight. Okay, no. Let me see who I be. I stopped. Scotland in my second fight was the host Japan. I stopped him in the first round too. I mean, they was quiet when I was in Japan. They was quiet. They didn't move. It was over the first <laughs> round. It was like, oh, they they was quiet about that. They don't. They they're not like United States loud and they everything is quiet, clean. You get on a plane, you gotta have they give you slippers to put on. Then when you get to the hotel, you wear slippers. It's really it's a clean country. It's clean. Everything you don't see, no dirt on the ground, nothing. Trash. It's clean. It's really a clean place. And you were saying before our segment here too that it was different overseas. I mean, in Europe yeah, specifically well, well, compared well, to the yeah. U.S. back then when you were J- doing all that. Japan traffic. was totally different from Europe. Mm-hmm. Japan was totally different from Europe. It was I didn't like Europe then. I, I was like, I mean, when I first got there, you know, being seventeen, I wanted to cry, but I wanted, but I couldn't. You know, t- too many guys around me. You know, I wanted to. Be, I don't want to be. I made a mistake. I don't want to be here, but I sucked it up. Like it, like all the rest, and, and eventually I, I caught on. I was ten and one at international. When you were growing up, which boxer did you look up to, and which boxers did you maybe want to be boxing. like? I wasn't into boxing. I wasn't into boxing. I liked the rock. I liked the baseball. I liked mm-hmm. the Willie Horton, Rod Carew. I liked the baseball players. Dick McCullough. I liked the you know I liked the baseball players. I I never. Uh, only thing about boxing back then, only person you seen was Muhammad Ali, uh-huh. Joe Frazier. You know, seeing a little bit of uh, George Foreman. But those weren't really people like Victor Galindis. I mean, this back in the early 70s. You, you didn't see boxing as much as it is now. And now the Tigers were your favorite team growing up, right? Yes, yes, because I'm a Detroit. Anything with the state of Michigan, well, I got your back on that. What position or positions did you play I playing third baseball? Base. Third base was my favorite. Third base in left field and center field. And I, and I pitch. Comparing boxing to baseball once again, what was tougher to get into for you? To get used to and to get good at. Growing up as young with Emmanuel and them, um, we was taught how to first get on your toes and box to fight in and out. And then I learned how to fight inside too. I mean, when I was younger, I learned to just outbox people, just try to outbox you. But as I got older, I started realizing that knocking somebody, hurting somebody is more important than outboxing. And that's when I became the knockout, knockout lover. <laughs> and uh, you got to know, you know, Tommy and Hilmer well yeah. through training alongside them, obviously. I used Tommy and Hilmer's style for my style. I mean, I, I copied I copied Tommy with the low left hand. But what I learned from Hilmer was the fast pace. He fought at a fast pace. Uh-huh. And, and I connected both of them. The only difference was, like, with me and Hilmer, I punched harder than Hilmer. But I used that pace he hit. He, he fought you at a fight. You know, at a you know at a fast pace, he like coming out real fast, real fast, real fast. Then next thing you know, is you tired. I mean, I couldn't go through. I couldn't go three rounds with him when I was young. Now, a lot of people when they talk about fighting or they talk about competition, really talk about the challenges dealing with failures, dealing with your first professional loss. What was that like for you? And how long did it take you to come back uh, and recover from man. your first professional loss? What happened? 
I was with my best friend. When I lost to Donald Curry, me and my best friend, we, we didn't come to Detroit. We, came, we went to Arizona. I was hurt. I never lost. I haven't lost in about six, seven years, and it was different. I didn't come to Detroit. I, came, I went to Arizona. You didn't come back home? I mean, for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't. Where everybody went to Detroit, yep. I, I went to Arizona. And what did you do? Did you kind of just mentally reflect on the fight, thinking about what, what yeah, to do next? sit around, sipping on liquor, thinking, thinking, thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost. So, so what, ha- what happened in that fight? <laughs> got knocked out mm-hmm. second round. First time I've ever been knocked out ever in the fight game. <laughs> but, hey. So you're, like, but like they told me, if you stay in this game long enough, it all can happen to you. Exactly, and that's, <laughs> and that's the key to making a comeback and, and how you handle personal failures. So you came back with a strong attitude, and do you feel like you improved your game after your first loss? How did you handle it? Uh, not really. Because, well, the biggest thing was the weight problem. I was having that welterweight. I outgrew welterweight, and then I moved up to dream middleweight, and I fought Mike McCallum for his belt. It was to schedule 15 rounds on a two-week notice. You know, just like I did a lot of things. I, I just fought off my heart. Like my first uh, made the international team, I got man. You got a call that the guy named Dan, whose name was Lemuel Steeples. They had a thirty. He was fighting one thirty nine and seventy eight. I was fighting one twenty five. So I get a free trip. He said, "You want to? You if you come out here to Colorado, fight one thirty nine." I mean, you know, I'm tall. I'm like, okay, I ain't really that weight, but I, okay, I did. And I messed around. And I beat. I, I won my first fight. Down. Dwan beat Donald Curry, who eventually beat me in profession. Then Dwan beat me. He Dwan stopped me with a body shot the second I mean, you know, for the championship. Then later on I, I revenged my loss to Dwan about three months later. But that was see, I was fight I was fighting off my heart. That wasn't my weight class. I was too little. But I you know, like I said, but I did revenge. But a lot of things I was doing off my heart. Like I say, I take a I'm taking a trip. I mean a fifteen round fight in two week two week notice. How tough was it to fight on short notice like that when you had? I mean, like I used to go to Belar. When I, I mean, because we only had like about ten days, so I used to run and bro. I'd run six miles and bros, make my feet heavier. But the fight, I mean, it went ten rounds. I won about the first four, and then after that, it was going downhill. <laughs> but you know, but hey, like I said, I lived off my heart. People don't understand that I did. I I took a lot of fights. I took not a lot, but I took some fights quick notice. Couple of days, I did the amateur just like that. Uh, I just I treated all it just like professional. I treated the same. Ideally, what's the proper length of a training camp that you would need to really focus in and get get well to fight to prepare for a professional fight? Well, when you're young like that, see, I mean, first of all, you gotta remember, I'm twenty, twenty one, twenty two. I mean, and so it don't it don't take forever to get in shape. I mean, back then we was going six, seven weeks, six, seven weeks. I mean, I was never, I mean, I'm an athlete. I was never out of shape. I mean, I was never out of shape. I didn't smoke. You know, I mean, I did drink a little bit, but I didn't smoke. So, I I mean, it didn't take much to get me in shape. Did you get the chance to know the fighters that you fought against, too? Not either professional amateur or either both. Either, yeah. Not really. I mean, really, amateurs, you just fight because your name is there. Y'all just fight. Pro is a little different because you picking who you fight. You know, I knew about Mike McCallum and all that before we fought. We sparred before. And I thought I had an edge on him. I took a, I, and I took a 15 round in a two weeks notice. <laughs> and before this podcast, you brought up Colin Jones of Wales, who you fought right. against twice. Right. And you were saying you never knew him. And never. then you got to know him after the fact, huh? Right. right. Yeah, and I what know. was that like? And how did that come to be, by the way, too? Well, he was coaching 
some England team that was came. They came in some part of Windsor. I mean, some part of Canada, a little bit past Windsor. I drove about four. Me and my wife drove up there because they told me he was coming, and I, and I had never met him. We, I mean, well, I said not. We never shook hands or ever spoke to each other. And then when I come and come find out, he was a very nice guy. Now in your life too, because you know sometimes you hear stories of you know people when you go out try to test boxers. Did you have problems like when you go out, people wanted to say, "Hey, look, I could take out a world champ or take out a guy that is a professional boxer." Did you run into some people that were not, a little bit nefarious? I mean, no, I mean not really, but some people be kind of wondering. I I, I can see that in some people I, they be kind of wondering, can they take me? But but you know, I say that's a bad move. A bad move. So not too many scraps outside yeah, of the boxing I, ring. No, no, not, not not since I started boxing when I was young. I haven't had I've had too many fist fights with nobody. No, and then I guess being a winner, I mean, that stands out. It's kind of yeah, hey, you mess with you know, from elementary. I started boxing in elementary, from elementary, junior high, high school. I never had no problems with nobody. I'm curious as to what your take is on the boxing scene now as opposed to back in the day. How do you compare the boxing sport now? Are you, do you follow it? Yes, I, yeah, yes, I still follow it. Yeah, I still follow it because I'm a coach at Crunk now. I mean, mm-hmm. I still got kids. But my thing is they don't, like, I go back to what Emmanuel say, amateur. You got to have some amateur background in you to, to go to the real next level. Every world champion, everybody that's been a world champion has an amateur background. You check the history of every fighter that ever won a championship. They got an amateur back. Mike Tyson, Joe Lewis, everybody got a, you know, they got background. They won the nationals. You know, that means something. When, 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 even like for me, people, oh, they surprised I won a world championship. But you got to remember, I won an amateur world championship. So that means this, they ain't giving championships away, you know. So that means that this guy can fight. So what's the best age to start boxing at then? Well, now back then it used to be ten, but now it's eight. Um, now, I only scary part about to me, I I say I, even though they changed the limit to, eight, I mean, earlier not eight is like I felt when I was boxing. You, you get burnt out with it. Like I said, one hundred twenty amateur fights. I was tired of boxing. Could you coach us into becoming world champion boxers, or do you think it's not feasible with the two of us? And you look at us. No, it, it ain't. It's, you can't look at nobody and judge them. Uh-huh. It's a hell of a deceiving thing because I look at myself and I, in the, in my personality doesn't carry that world champion thing. I got another side to me. You can't that's measure it. anybody's heart. That's right. right. That's exactly. right. The heart of a champion, saying, like right? Say, and what it that. takes. Right. See, Emmanuel was seeing this way back then as a kid. I'm coming off the street. I lost to a boy from Toledo, Ohio. His name was Ricky Richards. i never forget this. He beat me. It was the first year I got with Crump, and he beat me. And then we was just some fights in Windsor. I wasn't even training. You know, I'm, I'm a baseball player. I was like, man, he here. His name Ricky Richards. I said, he here, man. I want to fight him. Man, he said, you ain't been training. And I'm playing baseball. He said, yeah. I said, I want to fight him. And they wound up we fought him, and I beat him. I beat him at his own game. And that kind of stood out to me with Emmanuel. Like he came off the street and fought this guy. All that as a you watch a kid and you watch different stages of your life, and that's what he was watching about me. Then he watched me what I'm doing with Tommy and Herman and them as a teenager. You know, like you know, my what my first my first five fights was first round. Of, I had two scheduled six rounders. First round, of, two scheduled eight rounders. A fifth fight was ten round. But you know what he seen that at? He seen it in the gym. What I'm doing with these grown guys like Tommy and Herman. Yeah, this kid is holding up. He's holding up. He said, man, you can fight 10 rounds. So when you're in the 10th round of a fight, 
Did you feel really good? Did you feel like, okay, I did the proper training to feel good? What's it like being no, in a fight it, and, and it, being at that stage of a fight? Are no, you feeling tired, focused? No, no, I'll tell you. It gets scary. It gets, it gets scary because you be thinking like after about four or five rounds, the first time I went about six rounds, I knocked a guy out in Cincinnati. But we went about six rounds. I was getting kind of scared. I'm like, ooh, I'm getting kind of tired too. But it happened. But you do get tired, but it it pushes you to go to that next level. See, that's the difference in champion. It pushes you to go to the, to the next level. And in those later rounds, do you have to focus on your technique or focus on staying sharp? Or what do you focus on later in a fight? Well, my biggest thing was to go come out early and get the lead. I come out early. I, I never lost the first. only fight I ever lost the first round to was Donald Curry. I never lost the first round. And that meant more to me than anything. Even like my amateur fights, I tell them, first round is very important. That's the dictator. You come back to the corner. Now, He's just as tired as you tired, but you won the round. So he got to fight harder the next round. It's only a three-round fight, but he got to fight harder. So you got to edge. To me, in professional, even when I was fighting 10, 12, whatever, I go out and get that lead. I run that sprint like what him was doing. I run that sprint out the gate at you. I come out hard. Now, now after about, okay, now if, if you make it past five or six, I'm going to take a breather in between. But then by the, by the eighth or ninth, I'm going to shoot it at you again. How were the judges back in the day, judging fights? I think it was fair. I mean, every every generation is is terrible to me for judges because it's 98% of the people that does amateur and professional boxing have never boxed. So it's hard to say, you know, to put me into something that I'm going to judge something that I've never done. See, they don't know how a fighter with the mental willpower that keep mm-hmm. going stronger, you know, but, you know, a referee quick to stop the fight. But maybe he wasn't hurt as y'all thought he was. Even like these little kids now, they get even if the head go back, you give them a standing eight count. The kid wasn't even hurt, man. You give a kid a stand. The standing eight count makes it look like a nightmare. That's like, oh, that's like in my era, it's, that's like a nightmare. And, that, and to me, that stands out to any judge. So you can't let the judges bother you and get into your head, really, too. Well, it ain't the judges. It's you. It's, it's you on the fighter and... And your thinking ability to, to me, I learned even in practice with him and Tommy and them to win rounds. I won in practice. And the great Ivor Ivers say, in practice. I won rounds in practice. And I practiced that. You brought up needing that heart, you know, big time right, heart, right. heart of a champion, right. and the, the mental willpower, mental right. strength. Right. Now, how about trash talking? How big of a factor is that inside the boxing I ring? Don't, I, I mean, that's that just what my take on boxing. I mean, I'm a quiet guy. I don't talk. I let. Do my talking, but everybody's different. Like Mayweather, and all that. that's not my type of guy. I mean, but he's a good fighter. But he's not my type because that even Ali, I didn't like that. All that I didn't like people that talk. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny. Like all my press conference, I don't. You know, I I ain't got nothing to say. I said, yeah, I, I'm knocking him out. I'll let my fist do the talking. Yeah, I let, and yeah. it should be. And you see it at those weigh-ins, like, yeah. too. The guys just yeah, talking and talking. That's a bluff move. They try to get more money, act like oh, they really <laughs> hate each other. Man, you go home, you go home, feed your kids. Just like he go home, feed his kids. Everybody, like they hate each other and all that. They, they, they it's for show. Home. Yeah, that's a show. That's show. And they're trying to maybe I get mean, in your I head. Mean, you might get one or two that really don't like each other. But I, I never... In the 160 fights I had, I never had a person that I didn't like. In the United States, which venues or which cities did you enjoy going to fight in? In the States? Nothing like Vegas. No, Vegas. Well, I never fought in Vegas as an amateur. Uh, I don't don't know. You know, 
just going to a different city and leaving your city is wonderful. Anyway, I've been going to Flint when I was a kid. First going to Flint, that was fun. You know, stay in the hotel, you know, come home. Everywhere, I mean, anywhere you go is pretty much as fun, especially when you're young and you get to you see the world like I was doing when I was young. It was fun. That's what kept me kept coming back to this game. <laughs> what was it like fighting at Kobo, by the way, too? Well, Kobo was fun because, I mean, that's you, your parents there. I mean, it, it, other than your parents, your best friend, everybody that this is your city, everybody this is this is the main part. I don't never want to get beat in my own city. You know, nobody wanted to get beat in their own city because people got bragging rights. Almost giving you an extra edge. And if you do lose, you almost feel embarrassed, right? Like I say, it does make you fight a little bit harder because you you at home. You fighting in front of my mama, my daddy, my brother, my sister, my best friend, you know, everything. So it, it, it gives you that little effort, that little bit more harder. You are fighting a little bit more harder, yes. Which fight are you most proud of in your pro career? Uh, Colin Jones. Colin Jones. Both fights because if mental willpower don't step in, I would give up. I mean, I would have gave up the first time. He hurt me with a body shot in the 10th round. I was trying to go down, but the ropes caught my booty and bounced me back up, and I kept moving. But, yeah, I mean, it, that was mental willpower, both was, fights. Was he the toughest to face the then toughest. for you, too? He was the toughest. See, at that time, I I, mean, I didn't understand that. He had went to the 76 Olympics after I fought him, after the, after the draw. I learned that he went to the 76 Olympics. He lost in the quarterfinal round. He was three years older than me. I'm like, I ain't never really, to me, I'm thinking, I got Hilmer and Tommy at the gym. I got the best guys in the world, but I find somebody that's got, I never, to me, I felt like I never fought nobody who had more experience than me. Other than that, I was like, this guy got a lot of experience. You know, he's like, he's older. And, you know, he's been out there. He's, you know, he was the European champion for a while, you know. So I was like, hmm. He did the second fight. The, them seven weeks, I dedicated myself to Seven weeks. I I did no, no sex, nothing for seven weeks. I did everything. <laughs> you trained hard, hard because I knew it was a hard fight coming up. I judged him at the first one. It was hard, and like I say, mental willpower and all that, and the desire to want to be a world champion. Colin Jones had it in him too, and he still today is hurt about that. He did become champion, and I and I can see that in him. But he don't know. I just had that little bit much more. I wanted to win it, too. And that's what it took. Without yes. that, you right, wouldn't right, have beat right. him, it sounds like. Right, and there's no question. Oh, yeah, there was times I wanted to give up. I was like, why I keep coming out here? <laughs> and, then, and then when they called us the draw, I was shocked there was a draw. But then I say, I got to do it again with him. Oh, oh man. my Lord. How advantageous, uh, advantageous was it to have seen him so recent, you know, before that second time around with them? Well, I mean, all that didn't bother me. It was just that I know it's going to be another war. When we seen these women, the second fight was in Las Vegas. I said, I just know it's going to be a war. This is going to be a hard fight. It stopped. You know, like they say, styles make fights. He had that Marlon Stalin cover-up, peekaboo style. Them kind, they give me hard times because you can't hit them. You, you punch them hard, but you don't hit them because they, they cover it up. And then, then he stopped going the late rounds. and he, Now, you come out, like I said, I come out run that sprint. Now he come out and he now he come in. He's a late round fighter because he used to fight fifteen rounds. But he comes out seven, eighth, ninth. Now he's stronger. I'm I'm on the decline and he's going up. <laughs> but mental will got him though. And when you look at the best fighters of them when you were fighting, such as you, Colin, Hilmer, you know Tommy, all of those guys, and you compare them to the boxers now, what are the major similarities and differences? 
that I you mean, would say. I mean, just all the names you just said right now, like Mayweather being the welterweight champion now, he wouldn't be none of them. He wouldn't be Marvin Stallings. There's a lot of fighters out there he wouldn't be. In the, you know, back in our era. Uh-huh. I mean, all this shoulder roll and all that. Yeah, that that did that wasn't gonna work back in our era. He does a lot of ducking, a lot of hiding. You know, and, you know, it seems like. He, I mean, you know, he just the man that I mean, I'm surprised he beat Canelo. I like Canelo Alvarez. I like Canelo Alvarez. He's a good fighter. And then speaking of Floyd, you know, he's fighting Conor McGregor coming up. What do you think of that? Is that a valid boxing no, match? He, I think it's a it's an insult. It's an insult to boxing. It's a slap. It's a slap in the face for a lot of fighters because, really, you of champions are only supposed to fight somebody in the top ten. There's no way you can make your pro debut fighting for a world title. Mm, so it's disrespectful to the come up in, in the fact right. that Conor McGregor maybe just because he's had success in MMA, it's basically being perceived as it's for show and for money. Right. That's true. And it's, it basically bastardizes the sport right. and makes it look really bad. Right, right, right. Because you're disrespecting all these people in the top ten. What about them? Why, mm-hmm. why they can't get a crack? Mm-hmm. The real competitors. They right, should be fighting right, Floyd. Right, 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 Because McGregor, is, he cannot kick. He can't do no wrestling. He can't do no, he, he So he got to fight Mayweather. He got to fight straight boxing. So who's the favorite? Is there any scenario in which you see McGregor tagging Mayweather and winning the fight? Because I everyone's mean, counting on a knockout. That's it. I don't. I don't see it. I don't. I don't see it. I just don't see. It. There's nowhere in the world this guy been doing this all his life, and you gonna try all of a sudden. I mean, you you used to kicking and all that, but now you can't kick, and you gonna straight fight my fight. I don't see it happening. How many rounds will it go? You think? Mayweather don't. Since he ain't got flamboyant, he's not like he was when he was young. When he was like 130 pounds, he was a knockout guy. Now he's you know, showboat and all that. Uh-huh. That's not my style. I don't like that. I don't. I don't like the style. Now, do you see boxing as a whole becoming more and more of that, or is that more just Floyd and what he's known for? That's just more Floyd. He just got his own thing about that. Yeah, that that's just him. I see a lot of fighters not trying to do that shoulder roll and all that. That's. I mean, that's good for him. It works. For it works him. for him, but right. it might not work for everybody right, too. Right, right. Another big super fight coming up is Triple G versus Alvarez. How do you see that fight shaking out? I'm Alvarez, man. That's mm-hmm. my guy. I like him. Triple G. I don't think. I don't think Triple G ever fought anybody with a big name that really knows how to fight. I mean, he been you know he fought them Europeans. Everybody comes straight at him and he beats them. He fights the ones that supposedly have a name. They old and downhill, but now he's fighting a young killer. I I, I like Alvarez. Who's the best pound for pound boxer today? Well, in this generation, it, well, Mayweather ain't fought in a while, but he he's for the best because he's winning. As long as you got like, as long as you keep that O on your record, you consider it the best. Deserves that he definitely does right. at this point in his boxing career. Yes. Will that be his last ever fight? I don't know. You never know. Well, we never know that because you never know a person get tied up in money problems. You know, he's coming back. You like, huh? He's coming back. It's because you never know. I mean, a lot of guys may come back because they get financially in trouble, and then they and they need the help, need the money again, right? They coming back. Mm -hmm. Now you told us you're working in the Kronk gym with the kids. How do you enjoy training the kids, and uh, what do you see in terms of their attitude? Because a lot of people will talk about kids being a little bit hyper. They don't listen. They have a hard time taking direction. Do you feel like the kids you're working with are into what they're doing, and are they easy to to train? I think so. I I got a. I got about about three or four kids down there that's really I think is good. And they're young, so that they listen. Is, yes, and so that would that's gonna make them better. 
That's a blessing too, because yes. you know you hear a lot of times people think they know it all, or they get a little taste of success, and they feel like they don't got to listen or they don't got to put in the work. So that's good that you got some people that are yeah, ready to work. See, they they haven't reached that level yet, so there's more that they got to do more to win more. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you win all these shows, but I don't know tournaments. Tournaments when you people he came up like, "Ooh, wait, did you see that kid?" And then you say, "That's your weight." Now you got a problem. <laughs> Can you give us a name of somebody you're working with that you're really proud of and that you think has got a future or that you, you enjoy training? Will Mackay. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Will. <laughs> um, Eric Johnson. Joe Haynes, Jr. I like them three. I like, I like, there's another kid in the alley. He's an Arab. I got an Arab kid. He's very good. Now, a typical, training, a typical training session involves what? Let's say one typical day with a kid, he comes to the gym. What does he end up doing, and how much time does he put in in one training session? It depends on how, how many times he's coming to the gym. If he's coming every day, he's going to be in that ring. I'm going to make him box because that's what he made, made us do. That's mm-hmm. all we ever did was box. So mm-hmm. I like to make my kids box. I I don't see how like this generation is, is spoiled with this handwork stuff. Everybody wants handwork. No, you you learn how to throw one two hook and all that. Do it with somebody in this moving, and you can learn how to do it right. See, as long as you hit these mitts, I can watch you. I still can look like I can fight, but put somebody in front of you is different. You gotta get used to punches coming at you. You learn how to move your head and all that. Couple rounds, three rounds, four rounds. How many rounds you put them in there for? Uh, I mean, well, cause they already fight three rounds, but okay. you know, but we still do them as pro round, three minutes, three rounds. And after being trained by Emmanuel, I bet it makes it so much more easy for you to coach these kids nowadays, too. Well, it does. Well, Miss Stewart don't see it that way, but it does. Mm. But but she don't understand. I'm teaching what Emmanuel taught me. I'm teaching he. All the things that when I was young, I didn't know I had heart like that. Because you kept putting pressure on me to box him, box him. Where, every, any other city we go to, I always box the best guy. Regardless of what weight he is. And I was like, why, why? But it, it turned out I could handle myself, and I did. And Milton, the Iceman McCrory, thank <laughs> you very much for all the time, and all thank right. you for joining us. Yeah, no problem. And thank you guys for tuning in to WBC welterweight world champion Milton McCrory. Great stuff from him today, and make sure you tune into all of our podcasts, each and every single episode of Two Bad Hombres at DetroitSportsPodcast.com. I was trying to get in Jobs. I don't